Amen. So this morning, as we look into God's Word, I realize that as a church, you have been going through 1 Peter, and, um, and the very passage that I will be speaking from, I think Pastor Brian preached on it back in July. So if you want to get the fuller message, you can go back to that. I want to focus on a couple of verses, a few verses from chapter 3 of 1 Peter. So next slide. Um, and I, I would like to title this, Lift Jesus Higher, whether we are in the context of persecution. And that's the setting behind the first, um, first Peter. When Peter wrote it, he was under persecution by the Roman authorities as well as the church. But whether we were in the times of persecution or in peace, that we need to lift Jesus higher. And so let me read this passage for us, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Now, different version or different translation says, sanctify in your hearts, Lord God. But it can be translated both ways. And, you know, what does it mean to sanctify or make holy our Lord God? He is already holy. He is already consecrated. He's unique. He's supreme. But in our hearts, we need to set apart our Lord Jesus Christ our Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay, so next slide. So I have three main points coming from these two verses. First, we need to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. That comes first and foremost before we can even tell other people what we believe in, who we believe in. We need to make sure that Jesus is Lord. He's supreme. That's paramount. And then we can explain our faith, the hope that we have, even if we have lost ones, even if we're going through persecution, even if we're suffering, that there's hope in Christ because he is Lord. Second, based on that uh, setting apart Christ as Lord, then we proclaim Christ as supreme. We proclaim his supremacy. And then third, then we persist in living Christ-honoring life. So next slide. Going back to verse 15, set your hearts, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and be prepared to give an answer, and that's where apologia or apologetics comes in, to everyone who asks, but do this with gentleness and respect. And next slide. And as you know, Christ is supreme. He is Lord in Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore, God exalted him, Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Father's sovereign will that his son, Jesus Christ, because of what he did, and the worship leader read that passage earlier uh, this morning, how Jesus, having the very nature God, put that aside to become man, and he willfully, willingly gave himself for our sake. That's a picture of our Lord Jesus. 
humbling himself to the point of death. And because of that, God exalts him to the highest place. So he is supreme. God made him supreme. And one day, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Matthew 28, 18 says something similar, where Jesus, after rising from the dead, before he goes up to heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in next slide, 1 Peter 3, in the same past, same chapter, Peter says that in his own way, that it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, talking about the gospel, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So again, we're reminded that Christ is supreme. He's Lord of all. Next slide. But as we give our explanation to people, especially who are lost around us, and including those who persecute us, Peter uses the words, in NIV, it says gentleness and respect present our apologetics, our defense for the faith with gentleness and respect. But if you go back to the original words in Greek, it says meekness and fear. Meekness, we understand. Christ exemplified meekness. He was humble. And meekness, basically, it is having the right or the power to do something but refraining for the benefit of someone else. So Christ has all authority, but he would hold back for the sake of God's will to be done, and he willingly submitted himself to crucifixion. And in the same way, Peter is reminding us, because we serve a mighty God, and he has all authority, even under persecution, even when we're being slandered, that we submit ourselves to God's judgment God's decision, and we explain who we are to those around us who are persecuting us, defending our faith in a way with humility. But fear, I believe there are two ways to look at this. Fear can be translated to honor someone, to show respect. But I want to go back, next slide, to the previous verse, verse 14, where Peter says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And he quotes a verse from prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 8, 13, where it says, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. This ties in with verse 15, to set apart Lord God as holy, holy in our hearts. And he is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And Isaiah was speaking to the people of Judah. Already the kingdom in the north, the people of Israel had been exiled by the Assyrians. And now the kingdom of Judah is facing the, king, the threat from Babylon. And they're living in fear. And because of their sin of idolatry, God is punishing the people living in the kingdom of Judah and Isaiah reminds them, don't be afraid of these Babylonians. Don't be afraid of their threat and their swords. Rather, be afraid of God because he is the one who is sovereign. The next slide. And Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 10. 
speaking to his disciples, including us, in times of persecution, when it comes. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. The Lord Jesus is reminding us, no matter what the threat that comes your way, even physical threat, torture, imprisonment, and even death, martyrdom, do not be afraid of those who will take your physical life away, but rather be afraid. Fear, reverent fear of God, the Father, who is able to do both. Take not only physical life, but cast you to hell. And Apostle Peter is well acquainted with this, next slide, because he himself struggled with fear. And the first time in the scripture that we see is when he denied Jesus three times. He followed Jesus into the place where he was, Jesus was arrested and being interrogated, and he was warming himself by the fire, and three times he denied that he knew Jesus when he was asked the question. Because of fear of man, he did not want to suffer persecution, arrest, or beating. That was the first time before the Holy Spirit came and empowered him to preach a mighty the gospel. But the second time in Galatians chapter 2 happened even after he received the Holy Spirit, even after he was reinstated as leader by Jesus. And I want to read from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him. This is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And so Apostle Peter, because of fear of man, and this, he was afraid of the Jewish people who had come to Christ. So these are Jewish background believers who at the time had that power in the church because of fear of these Jewish believers, he showed prejudice and discrimination against the Gentile believers. And Paul confronted him. And Proverbs 29:25 says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. God's desire is that we trust him, even in times of persecution. And that we do not Sub subject ourselves, submit ourselves to fear of man because that becomes a snare, as we see in Peter's case. And I believe when he was writing the first letter in chapter 3, talking about fear, 
that, I believe that is partly mixed in. Because in verse 14, he said, do not fear what men fear. And now he's saying, but as you defend the faith, have that fear, not only respect of the person you're talking to, but fear of God. Because if you only fear men, you will compromise in your faith. And he did that twice. Next slide. And so I want to bring some examples from the mission field. And I shared this many years ago, but there was a time during the church history of Korea when the Japanese took over our nation from 1910 to 1945, and they forced Shinto worship, the worship of the sun goddess among our people, upon our people. They began in the schools. They told our children, if you want to enter into school and register, you have to first come to the shrine and you have to bow, then you can register for schools all the way up to universities. Later, it came into the church. It took a time, maybe a decade later, it came into the church and they forced the pastors to do that. And those who refused, they arrested them, they tortured them, they killed them. And the pastors who had yet to be confronted by this, um, this law, living in the villages in different cities all throughout Korea, they capitulated, they compromised. Next slide. And in order to protect themselves, they came up with this resolution where they said, we ministers understand that worship at Shinto shrines has nothing to do with religious matters and that it's not against the Christian doctrine. We're also aware that Shinto worship is a patriotic and nationalistic ceremony. Thus, as citizens of Imperial Japan, we vow to show our loyalty through voluntary participation in the practice. And so 200 pastors, elders, and including some missionaries, after signing this document, went to a Shinto temple and they all bowed to the Shinto sun goddess and God's heart broke. I want to point this out because we, and we belong to that denomination, it was mainly the Korean Presbyterian denomination, out of fear of man, we set aside the first and second commandment of the Ten Commandments and decided bowing to the Shinto sun goddess is not, break, is not sin against God. We are now citizens of Japanese empire and we have to do that. But look at the pattern. The Japanese authorities first brought this into the school system before they brought it into the church. Think about what is happening in our public school systems right now with the transgender issues, even, you know, until, thank God, until recently, abortion, or just the teachings in the university saying it's not killing a life, it's the woman's choice. But all of that is coming in through the school system. And that's what happened in Korea. Next slide. And I want to highlight this um, a statement from this man. Perhaps you read about him before. I remember reading about him in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Hugh Latimer was a bishop in the Bishop of Worcester in England so during 16th century. This was during the time when the Church of England was experiencing Reformation. And there was opposition definitely from the Catholic Church. And he had prepared a sermon, a message, to give against 
the wickedness or the, the wrongs being done by the Church of England. And then he found out the King of England would be in his audience, Henry VIII. And he was debating how to preach this message. Does he modify it? Does he delete some parts? He decided to preach the whole sermon with these words, Latimer, Latimer, thou art going to speak before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who is able, if he thinks fit, to take thy life away. Be careful what thou sayest. But Latimer, Latimer, remember thou art also about to speak before the king of kings and lord of lords. Take heed, thou dost not displease him. Amen. He decided, I'm going to preach what is right before the king of kings. It is more important that I do not offend the king of kings than the king of earth, king of England. And eventually, a few years later, he would be burned at the stake by the, the queen at the time who was pro-Catholic church. And he died as a martyr. And I wish men like him would rise up, even now, in our country who would not be afraid to preach against things that are being taught our children in the schools that are against scripture. Next slide. So after setting Christ in our hearts as Lord, then we're to proclaim him, his supremacy through our words and through our actions to give the reason for the hope that we have. Next slide. And the basis of our hope comes from 1 Peter again, chapter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in his last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And I want to tell you, for the Muslims, this is so true. From their forefathers, they have received a way of life. They have received a religion that's futile. And in Christ, they finally found the living truth. They finally encounter Jesus Christ. And the time comes after making this confession of faith that they are tempted to leave it behind because of persecution. So next slide. And during our uh, time of sharing many years ago, I shared about how I was arrested in Uzbekistan as I was leading Bible study with these four men. And the man standing on the far uh, left, it was his father who turned us over to KGB or the secret police. And so we were arrested, taken in, and the police chief asked the four men this one question, who is your leader? Who told you about Jesus Christ? And they were very honest and they said, James Cha. So they were released and I had to stay for interrogation. At least they were honest. But while they were being held there, they, this particular young man, it was his father who put pressure on the police to make, give his son a real hard time so that he turns away from Christianity and goes back to Islam. So this police chief 
threatened this young man, if you preach, stop preaching the gospel, and he was actually one of our house church pastors. We had two pastors. He was one of them. Step, don't go to the church anymore, and you need to stop, step down as a pastor. If you don't do that, we will drag in your wife and your son, who's two years old, and we cannot guarantee what will happen to your wife once she comes in here. And out of fear for his life, his family's life, he signed the document, and he stepped down from being a pastor. And he's, he still came to church, but he would be sitting in the back, listening to the messages, and we could see that there was, he was depressed. There was deep sorrow in his heart because he felt like Peter who denied Jesus three times. And I remember my wife and I, we, we would fast sometimes three days in a row just to have God reinstate young man as a pastor again. We asked Jesus, would you come to him as you came to Peter? And about six months later, the next slide, the Lord brought this man into our house church, another Uzbek pastor, the man holding the, the guitar. And before he knew Christ, he was a musician. He would play guitar, or I'm sorry, violin, the one holding the violin. He would play violin in the weddings, and that's how he made money. But almost all the time, whatever money he made, he would drink, fool around with women, uh, debauchery. That was his lifestyle. And one day in the capital city of Tashkent, he met a group of Russian Pentecostals. God bless the Pentecostals. If they're very bold, they shared the gospel with this man. He came to Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. They commissioned him back to his city as a pastor, as an evangelist. And his city, his hometown was Termiz, which is right at the border of Uzbekistan and Afghanistan. And he went back there and started preaching the good news. And eventually he was accosted by the police because whenever he preached, the Muslim neighbors would, um, would get violent. They would beat him up. And he was arrested by the police, put into prison. They didn't know what kind of riot he was causing. Once he was in prison, the prison guards and the inmates asked him this question, why are you in here? What crime did you commit that you're in this prison with us? which gave him the opportunity to share the gospel. He explained to them again and again, to different people that he met, who Jesus is, and why he chose to follow Christ and leave Islam. And he was in prison for about three months. After that, the judge dismissed the case. He said, there is no serious crime that was committed. He needs to be let go. He went back to his home and over the next two years, the prison guards and inmates who had heard his testimony, when they were released, they started coming, looking for him and joined his house church. It grew to 100 Muslims who had come to Christ. And he came to our house church, and he said this, rejoice when you're arrested. How else will the police and the prisoners hear the good news? And the Lord sent the right person to preach that message to our house church. Because of the first arrest, we were all 
struggling with fear. And he said, don't be afraid. Rejoice when you're arrested. Next slide. So these three men were part of that house church listening, including uh, the Uzbek pastor who had stepped down. And amazingly, about a month later, the three men were having Bible study by themselves, and they were arrested, taken into the police station. And the police chief recognized this Uzbek young man again, and he said, I thought I, we told you not to uh, go to church or be part of this group. And when he asked him this time, who is your leader? Who tells you what to do? He said, Holy Spirit. God gave him wisdom, and he said, and the police chief said, you know, we had given you a warning before, and this time we're going to keep you in prison, and we're going to beat you until you, um, you relent and leave Christianity altogether. And this time God gave this Uzbek pastor boldness. He, he held up the scriptures in the Uzbek Bible and began to preach to the police chief for the next couple hours. And eventually the police chief let him go. And he... And he, uh, next slide. As we left the country in 2006, because our visa had been revoked, this young couple, the Uzbek pastor, stepped up again. And he said, I'm ready to be a pastor. As you leave, I will take over. Uh, we divided our house church into two groups. I'll take over the other group. And God allowed him, in the first arrest, his lordship of Christ in his heart was weak. By the time the second arrest happened, God had firmly planted in him a desire to honor Christ as Lord Supreme. Next slide. And the third point, <clears throat> as we make Christ Lord in our hearts, we preach and proclaim his supremacy, and then we live out Christ-honoring life. In 1 Peter 3.16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. <clears throat> and Peter says also in the same book, same letter, in chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And Peter is reminding us in these verses, no matter what the persecution, no matter who is saying what against you, even if you're arrested, continue to live out such good lives so that they have nothing to say against you. And in America, it may seem like, okay, we're play, living in a place of peace. We don't face much, much persecution. But in countries, in places where the gospel is going in for the first time, including in Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan where we served, we saw this happening again and again. As Muslims came to Christ, they lost their jobs. Their family members disowned them, kicked them out of the house. And yet, they were encouraged to live not to retaliate, but to live such good lives that no one can say anything against them. Next slide. And I want to share from the history of the church, Korean church, this amazing testimony. So the, the men that you see, the seven men, are the first group 
of pastors to be ordained in Korea in 1907, and this was in Pyongyang. They finished their seminary education, and they're being ordained, installed. And one of them is this man named Reverend Kipong Lee. We'll just call him Reverend Lee or Pastor Lee. Before coming to Christ, he was a town drunkard. He was a thug. He stole. He robbed. And especially for the missionary who came from America and settled down in his village, this man would make fun of him and even went up as the missionary was preaching barely in the Korean language that he learned as he was preaching the gospel. A couple times he would go up and punch him, gave him a bloody nose because he disagreed with the message that the missionary was preaching. But the missionary would not fight back, even though he was, you know, at the time, I think, you know, Koreans, we are not as big in stature. This missionary was probably twice as big, and yet he did not fight back. He held his ground. He was meek like the Lord Jesus. And there was a day when Pastor Lee, this thug, went to the church, this house church, where the Korean believers would come on Sundays, where the American missionary was the pastor. He set fire on that building to destroy it. And as he was running away, he got caught by the police. They were chasing after him. And he, he tripped. He fell down a small cliff into a ditch. And on the way down, he sprained his ankle. And put, there was a big gash on his leg. And so he was bleeding. And the police caught him and dragged him and brought him before the missionary and asked, what would you like to do with this man? And the missionary said, let him go. Bring him into my house. I will nurse him. I will take care of him. Next slide. And so this is what the American missionary did in following the example of Christ. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says, When they hurled their insults at him, meaning Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who just judges justly. That was our Lord Jesus, leaving everything up to God, the Father. And then in Matthew 5, 43, 44, Jesus tells, teaches us this about our enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this was what the American missionary did to this man, Mr. Lee. And he nursed him, brought him back to health. And this whole time, Mr. Lee could not believe, why would you do this to me? I'm your enemy. I tried, I hit you. I fought against you. I even tried to burn down your church. Why would you do this to me? And the American missionary explained the gospel message. And it was there, as he was being nursed back to health, that Ki Pung Lee became a Christian. And eventually, he became a pastor. Next slide. And then he was sent as one of the seven pastors. The denomination, the presbytery, decided to send him to the southernmost island of Korea. It's called Jeju, where there were a lot of shamanism, ancestor worship, Buddhism, no gospel at all. And he was sent there as an apostle. And during his lifetime, as he served there faithfully, 
Almost everyone in that island heard the gospel, and churches were established all throughout the villages on that island. Next slide. Skip a few decades. Around nine, um, 1990, when Soviet Union fell apart, Uzbekistan opened the doors. N missionaries from South Korea went to Uzbekistan to serve there, to take the gospel there, including several missionaries from Jeju Island. And they went to Uzbekistan and saw people coming to Christ. Next slide. Including people that we call Korean Russians. So these were ethnic Koreans, but they grew up in Uzbekistan. And while Faith and I were in 2011, we were invited to speak at a retreat for missionaries serving in North Korea. And this was in the winter. We went right across the border from North Korea into China, and there were about 70 missionaries. And amongst the missionaries serving in Korea, we met this young lady from Uzbekistan, ethnically Korean, but she spoke fluent Russian, and she spoke some Korean. But because of her citizenship as an Uzbek citizen, the North Korean government opened the door for her, and she had no problem going to that country. And we were amazed that there was a full circle that as God allowed American missionary to show, to live out the love, life of Jesus Christ before Kipong Lee, he would come to Christ and God would, he would become a pastor. The Lord would send him to Jeju Island to serve as an apostle, as an evangelist. And it's from that island, God would send missionaries to Uzbekistan who would reach out to Koreans whom Stalin had brought over. Next slide. In 1937, 200,000 Koreans were transported from Vladivostok to Central Asia, including Uzbekistan. And he just dumped them there. And that's how many, gener many decades later, this young Korean woman would hear the gospel. And then she would become a believer and eventually a missionary to North Korea. And we just want to encourage you just that one act of kindness, one act of Christ-like love can transform the heart of even those who persecute you. The next slide. And so for us, I want to finish with this passage and a, few, and a question. Peter reminds us that just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. God tells us to live our lives here on earth as aliens and strangers. This world is not our home. It isn't. And that's why we don't go after the American dream. We don't go after the best cars, the best homes. We're content with what the Lord provides. Next slide. And for us, my wife and I, as she said, we have our first grandson. And, you know, as grandpa and grandma, we'll do the silliest things to win the heart of our grandchild. And yet, what is challenging to us 
the Lord is speaking to us is, am I Lord over your life even now? Is Christ Lord over our retirement plan and relationships with grandchildren? And this is how it plays out. We know several people who are struggling, even Christians, to stand up against what is happening in Loudoun County Public School, where teachers are forced to use the um, preferred pronoun, not he, she, but they. And some are going along with it because they do not want to lose their retirement security. They want to retire in peace and not deal with the headache of standing up for Christ in public school system. We know a grandmother. She's a believer, part of our church, our small group. Her granddaughter, a few years ago, decided, I'm going to be a boy. And so the grandmother, knowing that this is against God's will, God made you as a girl. You cannot decide to be, become a boy, go through any therapies to become a boy. And she refused to address her, this, this child as a boy. And her own daughter cut off the relationship and said, you cannot see my daughter. You cannot see your granddaughter if you don't agree with the fact that she's now a boy. And so this granddaughter has lost relationship. This sweet girl that she's loved on for years, she has lost that relationship. What would you do? Out of fear of man, out of fear of relationship, what would you do? And that's a question that has come to close to our home, to all of us. Next slide. And I'll just finish with this last. Tanner Cross is a um, public school teacher, PE teacher. Few year, couple, a uh, few years ago, I think two, three years ago, he, he said these words. Actually, it was last uh, May, a year and a half ago. That's when Loudoun County School Board was passed a policy concerning transgender uh, pronouns, and he made this speech. It's not my intention to hurt anyone, but there are certain truths that we must face when ready. We condemn school policies like 80-40. That's the one where um, they're telling the students and the faculty, the staff, to use preferred pronouns. We condemn school policies because it would damage children and defile the holy image of God. I love all of my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I'm a teacher, but I serve God first, and I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion, it's lying to a child, it's abuse to a child, and it is sinning against our God. And because of that speech, the school board fired him. And thank God, a group of Christian lawyers defended, came to his cause, defended his stance, sued the county, and he was reinstated. And as part of what he said, there was 
a momentum that grew. And actually, it wasn't just him. Other parents, Faith also went and spoke against this at the school board. Because of that movement, we now have a governor who believes in Jesus Christ and who opposed abortion, the tide of abortion that was happening in, in Virginia. And if it were you, would you speak out as Tenor Cross did? And the time has come for the believers to rise up and to truly make Christ Lord over our lives, over our community, over our ch children, over the next generation, no matter what the consequences, rather than watch it creep into our public school system as it did in Ch Korea and eventually into the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done on the cross for each one of us. Lord, that he rose again from the dead and he has given us that hope, hope of eternal life with you. Father, this is the message that we want to preach to the nations. And now, Father, we ask, Lord, with so much turmoil in our own nation, in our own community, over the future of our children, there's such a spiritual warfare going over, happening over our children, over the next generation. We need your wisdom. We need your spirit. Teach us again how to set apart Christ as Lord so that we can proclaim Christ as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, in every context, whether it's in relationship with our children, our grandchildren, with our neighbors, with the government, and with people from other nations. Father, may Jesus be exalted to the highest place in all of our lives. In his name we pray.